You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, I would invite you to start making your way to John. We're going to look at the triumphant entry from uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. If you're using one of those church Bibles on a seat somewhere near you, that'll be on page 955. Some of you have been here long enough, you know that I struggle with Palm Sunday, and today's Palm Sunday. Some of you have maybe even struggled with me because I struggle with Palm Sunday. Some of you have just, have just struggled with this. And, and the, the truth be told, I really, I really don't like it when we send our little kiddos in a line with construction paper palm branches, and they, they walk around the room, and they sing songs, and parents take pictures, and uh, I really just don't care for that. And you say, well, what a party pooper. What is your deal? What do you have against such a fun and wonderful tradition on this day? What is your problem? Okay, well, it's not that the triumphal entry, this, this wonderful time when Jesus came into Jerusalem, is a terrible thing. Not at all. It's not a bad thing. Right? It's not that Palm Sunday is, you know, bad and horrible. It's a wonderful thing. Right? Palm Sunday is, is the first part of the Passion Week. But Palm Sunday exists within a larger narrative in this whole, in this whole week. And so it's my hope that by the end of my time that I have with you here, um, that maybe you can see where I'm coming from. Maybe you can see the bigger picture. Maybe you can at least understand why I struggle. Now, maybe you won't agree with me, but at least you'll understand why I struggle with it. So let's turn our attention now to God's Word. Let's take a look at John 12, verses 12 through 15. God's Word says this. The next day, when the large crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples... Oh, excuse me, I'm going to stop there. Would you pray with me as we get ready to just unpack God's word? Lord, would you please just reveal to your, us, your people, would you reveal to us what you have in your word? Would you transform us by it? Would you, Lord, conform us to your will and your word? Lord, may we be people who would cry out, Hosanna! Lord, would we be pleased, would we be people? Would you conform us to be people that would see you as king and proclaim your wonderful holy name by the praises that you have given us to sing back to you? Lord, help me to, to communicate your word well and true and help us to see it and hear it. Lord, help us to know it and live it and proclaim it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so this is Jesus' kingly entrance into the city of Jerusalem. He'd been there before, but this is a really big deal. It's a huge deal. In fact, it's recorded in all four of our Gospels, and each of them 
share something just here and there, a little different. They're all very similar, but they all have a little bit of detail that sort of helps fill out the whole story for us. And so Matthew records the account in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And so just like uh, what we heard in the reading, the crowd starts to lay their clothes out on the road for Jesus. They're they're making like a, a path for him, a carpet, which... I didn't see most of you come in and put your jackets in the aisle, but he's putting it, you know, they're, they're putting the clothes out for him. And then when they ran out of clothes, or maybe some others didn't have it, they cut branches and they lay them out there, right? And then we see that Matthew, just like all the other accounts, just like we read in John, quotes Isaiah 62, 11 and Zachary, Zechariah 9, 9, right? He says in the John account and in the Matthew account, it says, See, your king is coming, riding on a donkey. Now, for context, Zechariah 9.9 talks about the king of Zion coming to the city, a prophetic statement, and he humbled himself, this king that would come. And instead of riding on a war horse or instead of riding in a chariot with a grand army, he came riding on a donkey as a picture of humility and peace. The context of Isaiah 62.11, which these two things sort of get mashed together, they're very similar, it doesn't mention a king exactly. Instead of saying, look, your king is coming, Isaiah says, look, your salvation is coming, or your savior is coming. And then it goes on to say that this banner will be raised, this this thing will be raised, that all who would come under the protection of the banner would be saved, and the saved people, it said, would be called the holy people, and the Lord's redeemed. That's a context. Then there's another quote that we read in here, um, my Bible puts the Old Testament quotes in bold, which I really appreciate. You can kind of see them, they jump out at you. All of the accounts, all four of them, also record some information from Psalm 118, specifically from verses 25 and 26. Now, they all, except for, uh, except for Luke, is it Luke? Luke. Uh, they all open with, Hosanna! Hosanna! We say, okay, what is that? Hosanna, blesses the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's how the, the psalm opens. Hosanna is an Aramaic word they were shouting, which is a transliteration of a Hebrew word. So they're saying this sort of Hebrew word in Aramaic, and it means save, I pray. Or it could be like kind of a shout of save us. Hosanna, save us. And that's the opening of Psalm 118, 25, and 26. Here's how those verses in the psalm go. Uh, Lord, save us although Luke doesn't include that part in his quote. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Okay, but then here's what's fascinating to me. They all add, either before the quote or after the quote, they add a little something. Just to I don't, kind of fill it out, spice it up. They're capturing what was being shouted. And Matthew adds, at the end of this, blessed the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He adds, the son of David. Son of David, which is really fitting to see that in Matthew because the opening of Matthew, the very first verse, says an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, which is to show that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant promise to David and the covenant promise to Abraham. And now they're saying it's him, the son of David, the one who would sit on the throne of David. Mark's account is found in verses 11, excuse me, chapter 11 verses 1 through 10. 
And it's a, I mean, these are all very similar. It's a lot like Matthew's account. They're out laying the clothes out on the road again. They're laying out the branches. They're spreading the branches out. They're shouting, Hosanna, woohoo! blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then Mark adds this little clause, and I like this. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David our father. So now he's talking about the kingdom itself. He's talking not so much about the person, but that this whole kingdom is being ushered in. Blessed is the kingdom. Now in John, the one that we read and we're looking at for this sermon, the little addition is the king of Israel. The king of Israel. So all these things really have much to do with the kingdom, don't they? And then there's one other little interesting thing I'll throw out there. Mark's account, since we're talking about his account, is the only one that doesn't have angry Pharisees at the end of the whole thing. Right? It just doesn't really, all the rest of them go into some area where the Pharisees are just getting all bent out of shape and upset. Mark does not record that, it just kind of moves on. Luke's account is in chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. It's about the same, although incidentally there is no mention whatsoever in Luke's account of palms. Not at all. Uh, clothes, not palms. John has palms, not clothes. The same coming uh, king quote is recorded there. But Luke's gospel adds this. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven, which is really fitting because Luke 2.14 opens when Jesus was born with the exact same quote being sung by the angels. Peace in the highest heaven. Now we question, wait a minute, wait, wait a second. All these things are recording different things. Are they contradicting one another? No, not at all. The disciples are there. They're hearing this, their stuff being shouted. The whole city's shouting. It's in an uproar, right? So they're just capturing this thing and that thing. I'm sure there was lots of other stuff, but, but it, they all sort of help us fill out the big picture of Jesus coming into the city. In, um, in Luke's account, the Pharisees, it's fascinating to me. The Pharisees are really upset by all this, and they have a really interesting argument with Jesus as he gets close enough that they can talk with him. They say, Jesus, you need to rebuke this crowd. You need to tell them to stop it, to knock it off. This is inappropriate. Rebuke them. And instead, this is what Jesus says to them. He says, I tell you, if they were kept silent, the stones would cry out. That's a, an allusion to Habakkuk 2.11. He's quoting the Old Testament. You cannot silence the truth. And not only did he not rebuke the people, he's affirming what they're saying. They're saying all the right stuff. They're praising God. They're heralding the coming king. And, and if you can't stop the truth from being proclaimed, even if God would make it that the stones would cry out. Matthew has something kind of similar to this, a little different. The, uh, the conclusion of Matthew's account. Some of the kids, so Jesus goes to the temple. He's about to flip over tables and do all that stuff. And he's at the temple, and he's in town now. Probably all the adults have sort of let the fanfare down a little bit. But the kids, you know how kids are. They want to keep the party going. So they're chasing Jesus around, and they're like yelling, Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna, son of David, all the kids. Pharisees are getting all mad, so the Pharisees ask Jesus. They say, do you hear what these children are saying? As if, you need, to, you need to get these kids to pipe down. This is inappropriate. Jesus says, have you never read your Bible? Have you not read Psalm 8, verse 2, that says, you have prepared praise from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. Jesus is calling what the kids were doing 
whether their you know, behavior was more teenager-ish and sort of goofy or serious, he was calling that praise. And he didn't stop it. He didn't stop the kids from praising him. He seems to be encouraging it. This is praise. This is all great, right? This is good stuff. This is all a really good situation. The entire city is praising King Jesus, right? And the Pharisees are all bent out of shape, so who doesn't like that? That's a good thing, right? Hey, look at this, ha ha. Right, everybody's coming in. It's a celebration. Everybody loves Jesus. They're waving, they're waving their clothes and their palms. They're putting them on the road for him to go on. They're clapping and singing and having a good time and, and just praying out, save us, Hosanna, King of the Jews, Son of David, peace on earth and in the highest heaven. Woo! Why would anybody, especially your pastor, have a problem with this? I mean, other than the fact that, like, we pretty much see that the, the palms were on the road, the clothes were on the road. So, okay, why don't we put palms and, and clothes out on the road and march all around and have a party? What is the problem? Yay, Palm Sunday! What is wrong with this picture? Context. The rest of the story is what's wrong with this picture. So yeah, indeed, they were saying the right things. They were saying all the right things, all the things they should have been saying. They were praising Jesus just like they should have. All this stuff was fantastic. It's exactly right. We should praise King Jesus like this all the time, every Sunday, every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, all the right. We should be praising Jesus like this. There's not a problem with what was being said. There's not a problem in that moment with, with what was happening it started out with all the right words. They were having a wonderful experience. They were having joy and happiness in Jesus. But how did it end a week later? If we isolate these four accounts, just to the narratives, maybe stick them in some children's Bibles and only look at that, what do we have? We have a fantastic story. It's wonderful. But when we look at it in its whole context suddenly we see something very different. That's why it's important we read our Bibles and study our Bibles. Immediately following this account, here's what John records. John records Jesus telling the people the reason he came. And you know what he tells them? To be crucified very soon. He came to die on a criminal's cross, a shameful, horrible cross. Cursed is he who's hung on a tree and a Roman one at that. That's the... That's the guy? Wait a, wait a minute. That's, that's who he thought was coming into town. And then uh, he, this happens. Uh, John 12, 30 and 33. Uh, first of all, context. Jesus is telling them this, and then a voice from heaven speaks. And then Jesus says this about the voice. This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then it goes on and it says this. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. That's the guy we just hailed coming in to, to take over the city, to sit on the throne? Who is this guy? What was, what was in the mind of the, the people? What were they thinking, right? And there's a few verses later. 
verse 48, Jesus says, The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my saying has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now, what is this guy saying? This is our guy, right? And now he's telling us we're going to be judged. He's going to die on a cross. What in the world is this guy talking about? And what were some of his other sayings during that time? Whew. After Matthew's account, I mean, if you just follow right after the story in Matthew's account, it says Jesus went in and he cleansed the temple. He went and flipped the, the tables over. Said, hey, you've turned my, my home into a den of robbers and it's supposed to be a house of prayer. You guys have done messed up. And then he challenges, uh, excuse me, the Pharisees challenge him about his authority. He comes out on top. Like, I mean, the, and then he tells this parable. He tells a parable about the vineyard owner who set up a vineyard and dug a pit around it. And he sent his messengers to the people who were, were working the vineyard to say, hey, I want to see the fruit from my vineyard. And those people beat some of the messengers and they killed some of the messengers. And then finally he sent his own son. He said, oh, my son, they'll respect my son. So the, the vineyard owner sends his son to go collect the fruit and to go proclaim that the owner's ready to collect. And they go, ah, this is the, the heir. This is the son. Let's kill him. And let's take this vineyard for ourselves. And then it goes on, Jesus says, to say that the owner of the vineyard went and killed those workers and gave the vineyard to somebody else. This is the story our guy is sharing? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. What are we talking about here? This is the guy who was healing all the people. This is the guy who was walking on water. He's making all that bread. Most of us had some. Woo, it was great, right? This, this guy, he's going to come and he's going to liberate us from the Romans. He's going to kick those Romans out of here. What is this guy teaching? I mean, he... Did he just say we should pay taxes to Caesar? What was this thing he's talking about, separating the sheep from the goats? It's all the stuff he's teaching after he comes into the city. Who is this guy? Mark's account is followed immediately followed by Jesus cursing the fig tree that had no fruit. That's a highly symbolic picture of the fruitless people who the branches are cut off and cast into the fire. It's a very big, powerful, symbolic picture that he shares right after this amazing entry when everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, praising him. But of all of the accounts, Luke is by far the most telling. Immediately following the triumphant entry, if you want to make your way to Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, Jesus shares his commentary on the whole day on the event. He has thoughts on this. What do we think Jesus was thinking about here? Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. And look in your Bible. You'll notice if you're looking down, you'll see, wow, it's following the triumphant entry. And there, there he answered. I tell you, if they were kept silent, the stones would cry out. Now, right here, Luke 19, verse 41. As he approached, this is Jesus, and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you, excuse me, will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. 
and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. Why all this? Because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Did you catch that last part? whole thing's going to get torn down. You're going to be crushed to pieces because you did not recognize the day God came to town. You did not recognize. That's what follows the account we just read. Jesus comes to town for a week, right? It's Passover week. There's a big festival, all kinds of stuff going on. Jesus shows up. He taught all kinds of things that slowly and surely people didn't find very favorable. Pretty soon, people started sort of turning on his teaching. They didn't like it. One by one, they changed their vote. Wait a minute. This isn't the liberating king we thought we were going to get. Nah, I I think we need somebody else here. This is is not not our guy. I mean, you hear the stuff these guys saying? Oh, oh, I got an idea. I got an I got a guy. Every Passover, Pilate lets somebody go. And he's got Barabbas right now, the insurrectionist who's trying to overthrow Rome. That's the guy we need. We need the insurrection. That guy's a warrior. He'll kick these Romans out. Maybe we can get Pilate to let him go. Maybe he's our guy. Yeah. We'll go with that guy, Barabbas. I mean, certainly not this Jesus guy. We don't like him. We like Barabbas. And they started to discover that Jesus wasn't coming to be their liberator. He was coming to be their Lord. He wasn't coming to coordinate community activities and help them have more friends. He was coming to die in their place so they could be reconciled to God. He wasn't coming for city improvement and social justice. He was coming for ultimate justice so that we can stand justified in the face of the wrath of God that we deserve. He was coming to be king. He was coming to be Lord. He was coming to be Savior. They didn't want any of that. They didn't want any of it. By the end of the week, they were screaming, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Not only do we not like him anymore, we want him dead. And they got what they wanted. I mean, at least for like a couple days. Surprise, Easter, I'm back. You see, it's not the words at the start of the week that mattered. It's what they were saying at the end of the week. And with Jesus, it's not how we start that matters. It's how we finish. Even when the entire city turned on Jesus. Even when his disciples left him. Right? He's, he's hanging there totally abandoned. He's on a cross. He's abandoned. There was still this one guy who was saying, Hosanna. One guy was praying, Lord, save me. Now, he didn't use those exact words, but that's exactly what he was saying. He was a criminal hanging next to Jesus on the cross. He was probably not the thief you read about in the Bible. That's probably not a good way to think about it because they didn't just crucify petty thieves. They crucified really bad people, enemies of the state, insurrectionists, terrorists, I wonder, it doesn't say, we have no proof of this, so I'm just speculating, but just think with me for a minute. I wonder if those two criminals, one on Jesus' right, one on Jesus' left, were part of Barabbas' crew. 
part of this group that was going to overturn Pilate, overturn the Roman authorities, were they with that insurrectionist, Barabbas? In fact, was Jesus' cross actually intended for Barabbas? I mean, they had it ready to go. Was this supposed to be those three guys, Barabbas and a couple of criminals? And lo and behold, this criminal looks over, and it's not Barabbas, it's Jesus. We don't know what they did or if that was Barabbas' cross, but we know for sure Jesus was hanging there with them, between them. And the criminal who looked at Jesus, he said to the other, he said, we deserve what we're getting. Hear that. We deserve being killed in this way on a Roman cross, crucified in this horrific manner of death. We deserve it. He knew whatever he did was bad. He knew he was a sinner. And in this life, he deserved to die that way. So what was he thinking was going to happen in the next? He knew where he stood. But he also knew that Jesus was innocent. He also knew that Jesus was who he says he was. He knew Jesus was who he claimed to be. And he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's Luke 23, 42. Now, if you just wanted to paraphrase it, he said, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me. The words at the beginning aren't worth much. They might be worth nothing if they don't match the words at the end. So yeah, I, I struggle with the kids walking around the room with the construction paper palm leaves because I know the reality of the situation is without a life living in the lordship of Jesus Christ, surrendering to Jesus as king, none of those kids are going to make it to college still believing in Jesus Christ. And I just look at them and I wonder, what are we doing right now? And you know what? We're tempted, like we want to be the parents who go, hey, I'm going to take a picture, this is so so great. And I think even some of the parents might not be surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're doing churchy things, but we're not submitting to Jesus. Right? They want the party. And we all fall into this temptation a little bit, don't we? We want the party, we want the stuff, the trappings, the things of the church. We want the liberator, but we don't want the Lord. We want tradition without truth. The heart at the end of the week has got to match the praises at the beginning. It can't just be I walked an aisle, I said a prayer all those years ago, and then nothing. It can't be. Like for some of us, it's just cute tradition. And, and it, it's hard because it'd be so easy. It'd be so easy to draw a big crowd and have all the traditions and do all the stuff and take some pictures and, and do, the, do that and have it be meaningless at the end of the week. And in that, then we just turn all of our attention, 100% of it, to, to Easter eggs and bunnies and all the other trappings. Now, not that those things are bad, but they can't be first. We give no concern to the reality of Passion Week, of what Jesus did, what he taught. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He goes to the cross. Uh, we, if we fall victim to this cutesy thing with the cardboard paper, then are we going to give any concern to Good Friday? Are we really going to care about what Easter really means? It's got to match. Our words have to be consistent from beginning to end. Many Christians today are really not much different than the people in Jerusalem. That includes us, right? We want Jesus to liberate us from our earthly woes. 
our difficulties and our stress and our anxiety and our various problems and our political circumstances and you name it. We want a liberator. Jesus, come fix all these things, which he may do. He, he may help with anxiety and help with depression and help with burden and help with us politically. He could do that. He may. Right? We want him to utilize his church for the purpose of community improvement and social justice, which maybe he will. And he can. We want him to create for us a community, friends, connectivity. And he might do that too. But if we want all this stuff without Jesus' lordship, it's all empty and meaningless. If we do this stuff inside of Jesus' lordship, it has true, meaningful power and wonder and joy for our lives. Our friends are meaningful. Our work to the world is is a true witness instead of some empty, hollow thing. We've got to do this as loyal subjects of King Jesus, not trying as As Pastor Josiah said in the children's sermon, to have a king, we get to tell what to do. That's not how kings work. That's not a king at all. That's a puppet. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. So I don't don't just want us to go through the motions with these things. These are right and good things. And really see what was happening in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I want us to see that. I want us to understand it. They were saying the right things. We can sing the right things and say the right things. But if we don't really believe those things, it's all for nothing. So it is my prayer that we understand who Jesus really is, that we are saying those things because they're flowing out of the heart and they're meaningful to us and we truly believe them. I hope that's the case for us, Redeeming Life Church. An entire city of people saying the right things with the wrong heart pales in comparison to one person hanging on a cross next to Jesus with real faith. And that's what I want to see in us is this real faith. That's what I want to see our children celebrate. That's what I want to see us celebrate, real, meaningful faith, not going through the motions, but truly committed. Because all those other things are great, community and friendship and stuff for the city and all that stuff is great. But none of it really matters at all Because there's only one thing that really matters when we discover that we are the criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Only one thing matters. Hosanna. Jesus, save us. Jesus is calling on all of us to believe that he is who he says he is. He's calling us to believe in our heart that on the third day he rose from the grave. Happy Easter. He's charging us to call him Lord. Right? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's for all of us. If you're in here, you're realizing that you are a sinner like the criminal on the cross. And your fate beyond this earthly fate is going to be far worse than what you're facing even right now. You can call upon Jesus. You can call him Lord. 
You can cry out, Hosanna, save me, and he promises he will. So it is my encouragement that you do that. We'd love to talk with you more about it. I would love to see you follow Jesus faithfully because I'm not concerned about what your words might be on the front part of the week. I'm concerned about how you're going to finish with Jesus. And I pray for our church and for us and for you, for the kids, for the adults, the oldest people in here, the youngest, that we would finish well with Jesus and finish faithfully. We don't want to be people who don't recognize Jesus when he comes to visit. How terrible. Jesus is calling on all of us to trust him. He's calling on all of us to make a profession like they made it the first part of the week, but he's calling us to make the same profession at the end of the week. That's my prayer for us. Because it doesn't matter what we say at the beginning. It matters what we say with Jesus at the end. I just pray we call Jesus King Jesus forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am so grateful. You make yourself known, and I ask, please don't let us miss you. Please don't let anybody here miss you. Lord, save all who don't know you, that we would profess, Hosanna, save me, to those, uh, to those challenges we see, to those problems. Lord, when we recognize who we are and what we're facing, that we would see that you are the only answer, the eternal answer, to be king and to be Lord. God, we want, to, we, want to, we want to praise you as king. We need your strength to persevere to the end. We thank you that you give it. Lord, I pray for all those who don't know you today, that they would meet you this week and profess you as Lord by the end of the week, praising you and following all the other life. Lord, I'm thankful for the baptism we're about to celebrate. I'm so thankful. But I want to pray... For Lydia, my daughter, getting baptized, that you would persevere her to the end, just like every other child in this room. I ask God, please carry them in faith to the end, just like every adult in this room. And Lord, even for those of us who may be wayward, maybe those of us who may be tempted, struggling, Lord, let us just cry out, Hosanna, save us, King Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.